the key of expectation. <clears throat> I've been told lately that I've been serving up way too much meat on a Saturday night. <laughs> so I'm not going to stop serving up the meat, but I am going to serve it up in a lot smaller doses. I'm not saying it's going to be shorter, <laughs> but I'm going to try to stick to one or two things tonight because I believe the Lord is having me shift a little bit in what I'm supposed to do, especially having these kids in here. Kids, I want y'all to hear this. Y'all are not the next generation. You are the current generation. And I believe that as we move into what God's going to do, have you, you ever seen people praying over people and they get healed? I believe that you kids are going to start doing that. So I, it's a, an exciting thing that you're in here tonight. Y'all hear that? It's an exciting thing that the kids are in here with us tonight. I actually want to open up tonight with the same passage that I opened up about two weeks ago when I gave a message called The Key of Knowledge, looking at what the prophet Hosea said in Hosea chapter 4. I want to open up Hosea chapter 4 verse 1, and I'm going to try to, um, I'm just going to see what the Lord does tonight. I have a lot less scripture than I usually do, which means I've got a lot more talking to do. It says, hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. At this time, the people were breaking their covenantal agreement with God. There was no love amongst the people. Y'all hear that? If there is no love among the people of God, then we are already out of covenant. There was no love. They were dealing in deception. They were murdering each other. They were stealing. There was adultery. And it even goes on to say in Hosea chapter 4 that the land was depleting. It was wasting away. And not just the land, but it says that the beasts of the field, the sky, and even in the water... They were depleting and withering away too. Everything was declining. The environment, the animals, everything. And all of the decline flowed from one thing, that there was no knowledge of God. Y'all hear that? That there was no knowledge of God. And not just a knowledge about God, but a knowledge of God as in there was no intimate knowing of who God was. And I've talked a little bit about two weeks ago, but... In this not knowing God, the religious people that they were putting in systems to make sure that the people didn't know God, the people just knew their systems. So people became really, really familiar with, with praise songs, but not God. They became really familiar with making it to temple at the right time, making it to church once a week. They knew all the rhythms, they knew all the ways, but they did not know God. They, they were doing anything they could to keep the people from understanding that they could know God. And the knowledge of God is often absent because we have failed to learn to dwell in the presence of God. Further than that, dwelling in a knowing of God. Dwelling in the presence of God is simply this place in your life where you are walking in an intimate relationship knowing the Father. I, I, I love what Lee brought out last week, and I want to kind of piggyback on a little bit about what she said, about what she brought out about Moses and Joshua. It says in Exodus 33:11 that inside the tent of meeting, 
the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. As one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Joshua was, was being prepared to lead the people into the promised land, not only through the leadership of Moses, not only under a leader, but he was being prepared through dwelling in the presence of God. The same presence that Moses had face-to-face encounter with. Now that's troubling because in 1 John 4.12, it says that no one has seen God face-to-face. So when you look at that that passage and it says that Moses saw him face to face, if you translate the original language, face to face literally means free and open fellowship. You, you, you want to you wanna bomb drop tonight? Someone in the Old Testament before, before Jesus came into the earth had free and open fellowship with God. Because what Jesus did was was not try to come in and do something that wasn't already available. He was trying to protect what was already available. And the way he protected it was, I'm going to die for the sins of man so that they have no excuse and they have no boundaries to understand that free and open fellowship is available to all. It is no longer to a Levitical priesthood. It is no longer just to the Jews. It It is to everybody who says yes to my name. Face-to-face encounter, free and open fellowship with God. And before we can do anything, I want you to hear this. The key to seeing the Lord pour out everything that he wants to pour out on his church is not getting everything right. It is understanding that you have access to free and open fellowship with God. And when you understand that you walk in free and open fellowship with God, the fruit of that fellowship is you will start to walk a life of getting everything everything right not necessarily being right but getting everything right as in sin will start to fall off of you not because you're trying to manage your behavior but because you are so enveloped in the presence of God that your desire starts to align with what God wants for you the biggest message in the church that we have got to turn upside down is you need to get everything right in order to follow God. That's not what God is doing. God is saying, understand that there is a door to me that is the word of God, that is Jesus, the son of God, the word that became flesh. And if you will come to me through him, through the word of God, the truth, the obedience, all these things, there is a fellowship that will change everything about you. Can I go even further with that? Jesus was in such fellowship with the Father that he was transfigured. He wasn't pulling off a magic trick because he was the Son of God. He was in such communion with God that there was a literal transformation of even the Son of God. And God says, if you will come into my presence and dwell there, Everything about you will change. Everything about you will transform. And it will transform into the original idea that God had about you before anything tried to mess it up. Any church that tells you that you are not good enough is preaching a false gospel. Jesus has made us right. We we are the righteousness of God. 
and in order to actually appear or transform into that righteousness, the path is fellowship. Face-to-face encounter. And what God has me on tonight is that oftentimes we will come to the same place over and over and over and we treat it casually rather than understanding that there's an opportunity every time we come together, every time you're at your home, every time you're in your car, every time you're in your place of work, there is an opportunity for face-to-face encounter, free and open fellowship with God. But the question tonight is, do you have expectation for it? Because right before we see that Moses would go into this tent of dwelling to have these face-to-face encounters, right before we see Moses and Joshua in this place of communion with God, I want to read verses 8 through 10 right before this. It says in verse 8 of Exodus 33, whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people, someone say all the people, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tent. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down, hover at his entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. Talk about a tangible presence of God. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Two things I want to pull out here. It says whenever Moses would get into this place, they would stand and watch. Not one time, every time. Every time Moses entered in, they would get outside and they would stand. They would stand and watch in what? Expectation. Whenever they saw the cloud, it says that when it finally hovered, they would expect the cloud. And then when they saw the cloud, it says they would stand and they would bow. And although it was the same practice over and over and over and over, they did it in expectation. Because when they came to this moment, they were anticipating and expecting God to move. And it never became a casual practice. Freedom from religion does not take away rhythm or practice. It takes away a casual mindset attached to the practice. You hear that? Freedom from religion does not take away practice. It takes away a casual mindset of the practice. It is a practice to come together every Saturday night. It is a practice to come together in house churches. It is a practice to call on fellow believers when you need prayer and advice. Some of you need to create that practice because some of us get more advice from people who have no relationship with God than those who do. And you wonder why you're in the wrong place because you're taking the wrong advice. Right? There's, there is all these things that, become, that can become very casual. The question is, are we doing these things with an expectation that as we come together, God is going to show up. God is going to move. And there is a real danger in a casual mindset. And what I fear is that the church as a whole has embraced casual mindset about the meeting place of God. There is a thing in the Bible called the Ark of God. Or as some have heard, the Ark of what? The covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark, there were three items. 
<clears throat> the first item was a gold jar of manna. Gold jar of manna. You know what manna means? It means what is it? Gold jar of manna. What is it? In Exodus 16, we see that manna was provided, never went bad. It was provided for 40 years. It was God, manna is simply God provides whatever you need to be sustained. You hear that? God provides whatever you need to be sustained. Now, this is in the Ark of the Covenant. The second thing in the Ark was Aaron's rod. And it wasn't just a rod, but Aaron's rod actually sprouted leaves. Aaron's rod was a symbol of authority. Shepherds led with staff and rods. In number 17, we see that the sprouting of leaves and flowers was actually a symbol of the power of God who gives life. That's why we see the sprouting of leaves and flowers. It was a symbol of life. And the blessing of whoever held the rod was fit to lead. And what would happen was that rebellion would not be put up with. And the rod was used to deal with tribes who were rebelling against them in number 16. So this rod was basically a rod of authority that brought life. Does that make sense? The third thing in the Ark of the Covenant was stone tablets. Can anyone guess what the stone tablets had? The Ten Commandments. Leave that up there. So inside the ark, we, we, what we have been told, what we read is the presence of God. So in the presence of God, we see jar of manna, Aaron's rod, stone tablets. Another way to say this was in the, the thing that housed the presence of God, in the presence, there was whatever you need. There's authority, and there's clear instruction. In the presence of God, there is whatever you need. There is authority in the name of Jesus, and there is clear instruction. And when people treated all that casually, the fruit of it was actually death and cursing. When instruction is treated casually... There was death and curse. Like when Moses striked the rock the second time against instruction. Like people ignoring a boat builder named Noah. They didn't listen to the instruction, so they missed the boat, right? Like Lot's wife, very clear instruction, don't look back. And just like a woman, I'm just kidding. Oh, that didn't land right. That didn't land right. Oh, tr- hey, there's a lot more men who messed up in the Bible. Amen? <laughs> Lot's wife looked back, and what happened when she looked back? Turned into a pillar of salt. People even looking inside the ark. There was plagues, and there was even death just because they looked inside. Death is simply to be separated. You hear this? It means to be separated. And many are dying, and dare I say even cursed, not even knowing it, including ones that go to church every week, because there is emotion without any expectation, and they've treated it casually. It's just another thing we need to do to be made right with God. When the fact of the matter is, there is nothing you need to do to be made right with God except believe in Jesus the Son. 
So to come here, this cannot be treated as a casual something I need to do so that I can be made right. Rather, there is an expectation that I want to come together with a church family on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning because I am expecting God to move. With the Ark of the Covenant, it was captured by the Philistines around the 29th year of King Saul's reign. Is this speaking to you all so far? I'm building to this. I pretty much only got one point tonight. I'm doing really good. The ark was captured by the Philistines around the 29th year of King Saul's reign. And it was in their possession for only seven months. And after they had it for seven months, they were like, send it back. Get it out of here. Take it back to Israel. Because when they looked in it, and when it was in the possession of the wrong hands, it was nothing but curses and plagues. No one wanted it in their homes. It, because the Lord said when it's in the wrong possession, which God only wanted it in the hands of the Levites, he said, this is what's going to happen. And while it was not in the hands of the Levites, whoever had the art, they experienced plagues, curses, death. They treated the instruction casually. And look at what they say in 1 Samuel chapter 6, verses 20-21. They say, who is able to stand in the presence of the Lord? This holy God, they cried out. Where can we send the ark from here? Do you hear their distress? They're like, get the presence away. (laughs) So they sent messengers to the people at Kiriath-Jerim and told them the Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come and get it. Before I go into this text, I, I feel like the Lord is, I wrote this down. I feel like he wants me to say this. There is a travailing in the earth and amongst people, even if they do not know, even if they do not know it, who have, the same, who have the same cry. Who is able to stand in the presence of God? Because people are hungry. And the earth is hungry. For the presence of an all-powerful God. But they've created idols because they come to church that has no power. You want to know why people are turning to witchcraft and sorcery and, and all these other weird things? Because they see more power in that than the dead place we call the church in America. They no longer come to a church for healing. They go by stones. And it's wrong for us to rebuke them because they're simply searching for where is the presence? What is it? we got to get somewhere. And if this is presence, they're like, take it back. I don't want it. That's why we're trying so hard to, to walk in a new move in this house where we come and we have, you know, no plan of a set list. Like, I don't know if y'all could hear, but there was four songs tonight. We didn't have the music in front of us because they started singing a, a different key and I had to G, D, E minor, C, G over a B, D over F sharp. I mean, it was like chaos on stage, but you know what I saw out here? People just... Because we're daring to go into the hard the difficult, right? It's, people are crying out 
And they've created idols because the church has closed up his power and the church will not even stand in his presence. The church just stands far away and hope they see a cloud just like the people with Moses. We're sitting here in church and we're like, when's it going to fall? When's it going to fall? When we need to realize that something has already fallen and it is up to us to walk in the move, not keep saying when there's a move or one day there will be a move, but have the expectation that we are in a move. And if you don't think you're in a move, then your faith is about this big. Because you still want to, that was weird. Because we still want to see a move based off of what you want to see instead of seeing a move that God is doing that you were never prepared for. I got to take a drink of water. I was talking with a couple guys this week, Dell and Rick, and we had coffee. And from what I understand, they were scared to death that I was going to reject everything they had to bring to me. But I sat down and I listened to their passion. And they, they went to this evangelism training in Florida, and they, and they came back, and, and I was prepared for what I would think, you know, more mature people in the church usually say. And what they usually say is, let's go evangelize and hand out tracts to the city and get a lot of people saved on a Saturday. But that's not what Dell and Rick brought to me. They came to me over a cup of coffee, and they said, We've been trained to share the gospel, and we want to train people in this house to share the gospel so that if they are in the grocery store or at the gas station or in their place of work, they have the tools to be ready. They said, we're not going to do a go out in the city and save them. We want to equip the people with the how-to. That is actually something very new. Because what we've been taught evangelism is, is schedule a day to go out and win the city. But the way to win the city is to equip every single person in the house. Are we willing to walk in a move? People are being healed in this house in the middle of worship without the laying on of hands. People are being healed without the faith for healing. They're simply in the presence of God. Can I just say this? Whether you have faith or not, if you're in the presence, it's going to affect you. Ask the people who looked into the presence when they weren't supposed to. They did. They had no faith and the power affected them. You want to talk about not having faith? Lazarus. He had no faith when Jesus said, get up from the grave, because he was dead. And what we've got to understand is there, we have to treat the presence of God with what it is. It is the presence of God. It is not a distant idea of, oh, we feel him. No, no, no. If he is in the room, stuff has to respond to him. And we cannot treat what we call the presence of God casually anymore. It says when two or more gather together, he is amongst us. So if he is amongst us, why do we ever complain that music goes too long if you really believe that he's in the room? If if you really believe that he's speaking through the man of God in the pulpit, why why would you ever complain about the length of the message? If you really believe that he's in the room, why would you feel like, I don't want to do this thing because it's weird? You know what? The church needs to get weirder. 
I've been so guilty in the past of saying, I don't want it to be weird in here. And now God's like daily saying, get weirder, get weirder, get weirder. And I'm like, yeah, but this is happening and that's happening. He's like, get weirder, get weirder. Not for the purpose of being weird, but for the purpose of being set apart. I got to take a breath. So the people of Kiriath-Jerahim were summoned. They were actually slaves that served in the house of God. <clears throat> he said, hey, come on, get the ark. So this is what happens in 1 Samuel 7, verses 1 through 2. The men of Kiriath-Jerahim <coughs> came to get the ark of the Lord. They took it to the hillside of Abinadab and ordained Eleazar, his son, to be in charge of it. The ark remained in Kiriath-Jerahim for a long time, 20 Years in all. Everyone say 20 years. <clears throat> During that time, all Israel mourned because it seemed that the Lord had abandoned them. The ark of God was in there for 20, well, for 20 years in the home of Abinadab. <clears throat> Abinadab, anybody know who he was? He was the son of King Saul. About 13 years in, this is 13 years when the ark was in Abinadab's place, right? About 13 years in, King Saul was killed by the Philistines. And at the same time, guess who else was killed? Abinadab, his son, killed in the same battle. And when that happened, someone took the throne. Anybody know who that is? King David. King David took the throne. He succeeded Saul, and he reigned, it says in Hebron, for seven years. So you get the timeline? The Ark of the Covenant was in the house of Abinadab. 13 years, Abinadab and Saul are gone. David takes the reign for seven years. That was the 20 years that the Ark was in that house. 20 years go by. And in Abinadab's home, he had more sons that were in the presence of the Ark. There were two to highlight, Usa and Ahio which were Levites according to the order of the sons of Kish. So you got two sons coming from the house of Abinadab who were of the Levitical bloodline, which means they could do what? They could carry the ark. You hear that? They were worthy to carry the presence of God. So we got two Levites worthy to carry the ark of the covenant, and they've been with that ark for how long? 20 years. I want you to get this now. You got two sons, grew up in the house, Levitical priesthood, and they saw the Ark of the Covenant for 20 years. Now watch what happens in 2 Samuel 6, verse 1 through 7. David again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. He led them to Bela of Judah to bring back the Ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of Heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the Ark of God on a new cart, New cart, the thing that carries the presence of God, just like in a new wineskin, on a what kind of cart? New. And you can't call something new just by slapping a new trendy label on it. If we're going to walk into something new, it's going to have to actually look new. Okay? New cart. They brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Usa and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart 
that carried the ark of God. Ahio, Ahio, whatever he is, walked in front of the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating for the Lord. It's kind of interesting season of celebration. Why were they celebrating? Because the presence of God was coming in. We have too much reason to celebrate. If there is no room for depression when you understand the presence of God. And that should be encouraging. Because if you struggle with depression, anxiety, and worry, then that means that there is a revelation of presence that you have not tapped into, so that should move you to tap in. It's not a judgment. It's a, here's the key, go unlock it. You hear that? So watch this. It says, it says David and all the people of Israel were celebrating for the Lord, singing songs, playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, even tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled. Usa reached out his hand, and he steadied the ark of God. And then the Lord's anger was aroused against Usa, and God struck him dead because of this. So Usa died right there beside the ark of God. Y'all hear this? Now, a lot of us have heard that story. I'm going to dive into the story with what I believe the Lord wants us to hear. They brought the Ark of the Covenant on a new cart with two Levites to the threshing floor of Nacon. Well, the threshing floor in Scripture is simply a picture of separation and revelation. Y'all paying attention? It was a place where the harvest was prepared by separating the grain from the useless straw for the purpose of exposing what was bad and collecting what was valuable. Exposing what was bad, place of separation, and collecting what was valuable, revelation. Threshing floor. You need to get set apart so that the treasure in the field called the kingdom of God will be revealed in your life. That is revelation. You only walk into greater degrees of presence when you meet God at the threshing floor of this needs to stay and this needs to go. Y'all hear me? This needs to stay, this needs to go. When you get in the presence of God, there will always be a revealing of this needs to stay and this needs to go. That is why God, God calls us to repentance, because when he reveals what needs to go, you have to be in the process of renewing the way you think, so when he reveals it, you don't feel judged, you feel liberated. Some of us need to learn that if you are in expectation for something, your first step is to get separated in such a way that God can expose the good stuff and the bad stuff at the threshing floor of his presence. It's the same imagery that Jesus used when he talked about the parable of the wheat and the tares, or in our language, the wheat and the wheat, the wheat and the weeds. He says the wheat and the weeds are going to grow together, and at some point, at the threshing floor of my presence, the wheat's going to stay, and the weeds are going to go. Y'all hear that? Some of us try so hard to remove the weeds when you need to let God do it. You hear that? The threshing floor was located near a village 
at a point where the winds would basically, it was, it was so strategic that the winds would blow the husks and leave the grain for making the flour. And in this place where all the winds would come, so they'd throw it up and would take the bad stuff away, it says that the threshing floor was actually a place of natural rock. So I want you to get this imagery that the threshing floor, it was a place in the city that met together where the winds would blow over a very rocky area. It's no wonder that the cart lost its balance. Are y'all following me? Because the Levites, the, um, Ahio, Usa, and everyone else, they were bringing the ark in, knowing that they were going to go through the, front, through the threshing floor, knowing that the threshing floor was rocky and out of balance, and Usa is surprised that the cart loses balance and goes out to steady it. It is okay to expect a rocky terrain when moving with the presence of God. And if you expect it to be rocky, then you will be less likely to try to reach out and steady it. If you expect the presence of God at the threshing floor to be rocky and difficult, you will be prepared to not try to reach out and steady it. And this is where the church has failed. Because we bring in the presence of God on what we call a new cart, and we plan every single move of the way of bringing the presence in. So we have a, even we've done it relentless, right? We have a, we have a countdown. We have a welcome video. We have a call to worship. And then we have three or four songs of worship. And then we have an, uh, an offering. And then we have a sermon. And then we have an altar call. And every church has their flow. But what we don't expect is there could be a rocky terrain when we get in the threshing floor of his presence and when something goes out of balance, when God interrupts the service, what do we do? We, we reach out and say, oh, no, no, no. We, gotta, we, 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 we can't let healing happen without laying on the hands because Scripture says that you got to lay on the hands. They were creating order back then. That wasn't to become a religious practice. Or a church does a crazy thing like, we're going to bring the kids in. So you know what, Mom? And this is not directing toward anyone. This is a general statement of truth. So hear me on that. But what, what moms and dads tend to do is, oh, no, we need to get our kids to learn with kids' curriculum. So you know what that is? <laughs> because it's going to be a little rocky, and we don't like rocky, so we try to study the move. We put our, hand, our familiar hands to something and we say, this ain't going to work. This ain't right. And the fact of the matter is, if God is bringing us into a day with things we haven't seen and things we haven't heard, then that means it's going to be stuff that we have not seen and things that we have not heard. It's going to be different. It's going to be difficult. And what we have got to stop doing is try to steady the move of God with our hand. In the place prepared for revelation... <clears throat> the threshing floor, the power and presence of God was actually revealed. They were wanting to see a move of God. 
And what they thought move of God was they were going to come into Jerusalem and maybe they thought fire was going to fall. Maybe they thought gold dust was going to come out of the AC vents. I don't know. what. Maybe they thought someone was going to take a jacket and throw it and people were going to fall out. I don't know what they were expecting. But you know when the power of God showed up? When it killed Usa. The power of God exposed something on the threshing floor. Because number 4, 15 says, They shall not touch anything holy lest they die. So he had the instruction. But because he was familiar with the ark sitting in his house for 20 years, when he saw the ark, he did not see presence. He saw something that was a familiar relic. So when it went off the ground, he had more faith in his hand than in the plan of God. He didn't say, don't touch it unless it falls. God said, do not touch it. And the power of God manifested and exposing a thing and taking it out. Can I, and I'm going to say this boldly, and I'm probably going to catch spiritual warfare for it, but the enemy ain't got nothing on me. So hear this. Even sifting in a house is evidence of the move of God. It is not sifting so that we walk into a move. That is the revealing that he is on the move at the threshing floor. And we are walking in a day where we simply have to honor one another and realize it may be rocky, it may be hard, it may be ugly, but we're not going to try to steady it. We're just going to try to move with it. Every decision made in a moment matters before God. And in this decision, the decision of reaching out to touch the ark, we see critical error in Usa's thinking. You see, over and over in Scripture, it says, be renewed by the way you think. Be transformed by renewing the way you think. <clears throat> he had a critical error in his thinking, thinking that it didn't matter who carried the ark. He didn't realize that the fact that he was placed there to carry the ark was actually in line with God. He was in a really good place, but he treated it casually. And a lot of you are in a good place called relentless and I'm not saying other places aren't good, but there's something different here that we're moving into, and you're in a good place, but you're treating it too casually. This is a whole other message, but the Lord says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. That word rest is the same word used in Genesis when, it got, when, God, said, when, when God says, I placed Adam in the garden. That word placed is the same word as rest. So Jesus says, come to me and I will give you correct placement. And when you are in the right placement, the fruit of it looks like what? Rest. So one of two things, you're either not in the right place or you're treating your place too casually. Okay. We see critical error thinking that it didn't matter who carried it, thinking that it didn't matter how the ark was carried. We see a critical error in his thinking, thinking that God could not take care of the ark himself. Because if he understood the clear instruction, he would have had faith that when the ark fell, God had a plan for it. Do you hear that? 
And I think one of the biggest things for me when I was reading this, the biggest error in his thinking was that the, the ground of Nacon's threshing floor was less holy than his own hand. Because where would the ark, the presence of God, had fallen had he not touched it? Right there on the threshing floor. The place of separation and revelation. And I think a lot of times when we try to steady the move of God with our hands and try to put our natural boundaries over the move of God, we rob people of a moment of separation and revelation. Like... That there's been, I've seen something these past two weeks specifically that there's moments in worship when it gets really, really quiet. You know what our hand does? Amp the music up. When sometimes the threshing floor is, be still. And I'm loving watching the team learning how to embrace the still moments and the loud moments. And some of us probably get confused, like, we're we're going loud, we're going fast, we're going slow, then we ain't doing nothing, what's going on? (laughs) There's threshing floor moments. And if you come in not expecting, you'll pick apart the moment instead of submitting to the move. Expectation. You see, Usa knew all about the ark because it was in his father's house for so long, but he saw no difference between the ark and any other valuable article. It became normal. Its value was diminished in his thinking because in his thinking, it was just another thing, just another meeting, just another day. Oh, house churches, it's just another Bible study. It's just another sermon. Right? It's just, an, it's just another thing. When there is no expectation, there is evidence that the value of his presence has become diminished and normal. And while we want to get away from religion, we cannot walk away from our responsibility to carry the presence of God into every area we meet and go according to his way. You do not get to make your own way because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's Usa thinking. Because you take away the value of the thing that you are in the presence of. God sees what he made you to be. It is up to you to become it so that you can access all that God has for your life according to his way, not your own. And there has to be an honor of his way and not your own way. And what I have seen for so many years is people come into the house thinking that they know how to bring a move, but I have yet to see any of them fall on their face. When are we going to get so aware of the presence of God that we would rather give him our praise than to pick apart everything with our opinion? We cannot become who we are destined to be if we continue to steady a move of God with our hands. The question is, do you truly understand that we are in a move? <clears throat> Revelation eleven nineteen says, In heaven, the temple of God was opened, and the ark of his covenant could be seen inside his temple. What could be seen in the temple? 
Ark of the Covenant. Lightning flashed, thunder crashed and roared, and there was an earthquake and a terrible hailstorm. Go to Revelation 15.5. I looked and I saw that the temple in heaven, God's tabernacle, was thrown wide open. Two times in Revelation we see a picture of a temple in heaven with the ark of his covenant referred to as his tabernacle. And there is the ark of the covenant in the temple of God. <clears throat> There's a scripture I refer to all the time. My kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Ephesians 2.6, I'm building this together. Keep this in mind. He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms. Not you are going to get seated when your flesh dies, but you are already seated in those realms because we are one with Christ. So God dwells in heavenly realms, and that does not change. So when it comes to earth, he says, I want my heavenly dwelling to get in the earth and the only way I can get in it is for the ark of the covenant or the presence of God to be in my temple and you know what he calls us his temple so he says I want you to build a temple for the presence of God to be released from a heavenly dwelling to an earthly dwelling but what we miss is he gives very clear instruction as to how his temple should be built. You build the temple with honor, with patience, with long-suffering, with understanding. You build the, the temple with love. You build the temple with meeting needs. You build the temple with loving your brothers and sisters. You build the temple by being willing to leave everyone behind, pursuing the presence of God just like Abraham did. It says in Exodus 25, 8 through 9, it says, Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so that I can live among them. It's his desire for the heavenly realm to be amongst us in the earth. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern that I will show you. He says, I want to dwell but it's got to be according to the pattern that I have. And I close with a scripture tonight, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? He lives in you. He was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. And, as, and if we are the temple, our goal should be one thing. Let's build this temple so that God can fill me up so that there's no more room for the false idea of me. It's not more of him and less of me. It's more of him so that I can find more of true me. Because the more I press into presence, the more of this false identity of who I am goes away. Kids... Teenagers, y'all listen to me. Growing up, walking in this world, y'all going to come into all kind of decisions. You're going to have to pick friends. You're going to have to separate from friends. Listen to me. Understanding how to do that is not going to come from TikTok. It's not going to come from the coolest YouTube videos on how to make slime, although they're fun. 
Can the kids say amen? What is, hey, she said, yeah. Kids, where it's going to come from is you learning how to get in the presence of God and listen for his voice. You ever wonder, what am I going to do when I grow up? Any of y'all ever wonder that? I encourage you, when you go home, ask mom and dad, can you put on some worship so I can just sit in the presence of God for five minutes? Parents, teach your kids how to dwell. Parents, you start to dwell. Teenagers, start to dwell. Everyone in this house, let's build the tabernacle so that he would fill us up. Do you remember what was inside the ark? It was the gold jar of manna, Aaron's rod, the stone tablets. And I talked about how the gold jar of manna was, I'll provide whatever you need. Aaron's rod was authority. Stone tablets was clear instruction. When you hold the presence of God as the temple of God, be assured that God's going to provide whatever you need to, 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 to fulfill your purpose, that he has called you to lead and not be led because you have an authority. Y'all hear that? You're called to lead and not be led. What the church does a poor job of today is we study the world, the world more than the presence. If we would study the presence, we would get everything we need and we would walk in an authority to lead no matter what the world says because we're not trying to be relevant to the culture. We're trying to be relevant to a kingdom culture that they haven't experienced. And the third thing, God expects you to honor his commands. All three have to be present for us to temple the presence of God. Trust and faith that he'll provide whatever we need. Authority to walk under his name, in his name, and abiding in clear instruction from the Lord. <clears throat> the key of expectation. It's so easy to treat these moments casually. It's so easy to treat a meeting casually. Tonight, I give you a key. Expect that we are not going to see a move of God, but that we are in a move of God. If we would all start to turn that key of expectation, we will experience things that no eye has seen and no ear has heard. We will see deliver, people delivered. We will see miracles beyond belief. We will see salvation. And what's more than that, we're not going to see it here. We're going to see it in homes. We're going to see it at picnics. We're going to see it in the middle of worship. It's just going to be a tangible dwelling place. <clears throat> but we have to expect it. No more casual thinking. He is God Almighty. And he loves us so much that he says, come dwell with me. So let's expect his dwelling. Amen. Let's stand.